that's probably the most beautiful part of the job is working on what we call the learning agendas. How much more we can learn if we set up tests even more smartly. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Introducing an exclusive new webinar series on advancing AI. It's available only online. It won't be released through the podcast, but you can join live to these webinars. So join us over breakfast from February to April by signing up in the link in the show notes. We will be interviewing leaders in the data and AI space. They will guide you through the hype and maze of technology to achieve the business transformation we all want from AI. Whether you're looking to leverage AI to optimize the customer experience or to improve your business operations, this series underpins the core elements crucial to your company's AI strategy. Featuring guests from around the globe, including people from companies like NAB, Finair, Woodside, etc. Check out the schedule, sign up through the link in the show notes or visit datafuturology.com for more information. I'm super excited to bring you this new series. Hope to see you there. Welcome everyone to a very exciting Data Futurology episode. Today we'll be speaking with Carlos Abello. Carlos is the Director of Paid Marketing Analytics at eBay. Uh, I've been looking forward to speaking with you, Carlos, for quite a while. Your trajectory, your experience is, is amazing. I saw that you, were, you worked in publishing, you've had your own business, um, you've uh, worked at, at universities teaching, and uh, you've been you've been at eBay doing extremely extremely interesting things. Uh, obviously, uh, the causal inference, experimentation, customer intelligence, all the things that we'll discuss today. I'm really keen to pick your brain on on causal inference. Uh, Carlos, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you going today? Great. I am looking forward to this as well. It was funny, right? We had all these arrangements of this session before uh, sabbatical that I took, like uh, four weeks time off, and, um, and then on the preparation during that time. It was one of my big motivations just to return is just to have this, this session the very first week that I was back. So, so looking forward to it. That is very, very kind. Very kind. Thank you so much. And um, how, was, how was your time off? It was surprisingly good. Given all, you know, all circumstances, right, around yes. uh, coronavirus, etc. So I wanted to go to my homeland, which is uh, northwest Spain. Uh, it was not that easy, right? So I, I actually took one of the first flights that were open uh, right after the ban for travel was, um, was off at the beginning of July. And I actually came back right when things started to go a little worse again, right, in, in Europe. So, the, you know, I, I had this window of opportunity, right, where I, I could have fun and it was, it was a missing time. So you can That's, see the picture in my background that is uh, sunset in San Sebastian. In oh, Spain. man. San Sebastian is amazing. Obviously, like, <laughs> I, think, I think every Spaniard that I've ever met has told me, like, you should go to San Sebastian right. for years. And um, I only got there. 
I think two years ago. And uh, man, I love San Sebastian, um, all the region. Uh, that's, that's, is that in Asturias? No, no, this is the Basque country. Basque, of course, yes. Yeah. Uh, but they're side by side, right? Yeah, uh, you know, 400 yeah. kilometers apart, but yeah. Yeah, amazing. No, man, that, that region, the northwest of Spain, I yeah. was so impressed. Um, absolutely loved it. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed um, a bit of time off. Thank you so much for making the time for us to, to have a chat. Um, so to, to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up uh, working in eBay, working mm -hmm. in, in calls or inference, uh, what sparked the passion for you in this area, and, um, and tell us a little bit about your journey, and then we'll dive in from there. Yeah, I think I have a pretty, I don't know, in a sense, a pretty typical or a stereotypical journey from people of my generation. So we started with uh, direct response marketing. That was an extremely data-driven, very scientific side of marketing before e-commerce even started, right? And, and we were tracking all the data from coupons and from all these response coupons. So we, we had plenty of people just entering all this data, right, into data sets and then analyze it. It was fully data-driven um, kind of uh, business model, so unique. Uh, at that time, we appreciated, you know, things like be, after that were becoming so important, like quality of data and, and just uh, trying to capture everything important to business performance out of data. Um, from there, um, when e-commerce started, then there was a keen interest, right, on poaching people from direct response because it was kind of, um, right, a... a, a a digital, it was not digital, right? But we have from a data perspective, a digital uh, data set, uh, a banalet, you know, uh, even before we had the, the um, internet working, right? So um, that, I, I started the transition. While I was doing the transition, then I got also connected with another side of marketing analytics, which is just um, TV, particularly TV, uh, measuring uh, impact of TV, which is it's just the opposite of that. So you don't have um, that much even today, right? That much ability to track uh, sales that are coming from from TV advertising. Um, but still, you have the same um, need, right, for uh, calculating uh, return on investment and then just getting into the causal inference, right? How much this thing is actually uh, getting to, to you as a business. So the approach there was completely different to direct response. And, and this is where we started, you know, talking about incrementality, all these concepts, right? How to set up tests and experiments just to uh, get to the causality of the sales that you are getting from that. And then all these two work streams, I would say, then converged into um, eBay, when I started working on eBay, where actually you had all the data in the world, um, very high quality of data. You don't have to um, be concerned about that. However, even if you have all that um, you know, extent of data and everything is traceable, um, you have, again, the problem of incrementality because many of the traceable uh, marketing contacts that you, uh, that you make are actually not causal. So if we have eBay so well-known, right, and we have such a large um, base of customers, that many of, the, uh, of those who actually um, click on a Facebook ad or on um, you know, Google search 
and come to eBay and buy, actually they are not incremental to eBay. They are just, they would have come anyways. They just happen to come through some marketing. So how to uh, disentangle that and how to figure out how much incrementality is coming from uh, paid marketing became again, <laughs> you know, um, uh, an important theme. And, and I would say just these large re retailers, you know, Amazon, uh, Walmart, we, eBay, we all have shared this, this um, specific problem, right, to us, which is just getting deeper into calls and inference. Uh, most of the solutions in the industry are, are based off attribution. Attribution is not causal. So, so we just needed to create a new um, you know, framework for ourselves and, and tailor to our business needs, which you know, actually is, is the main theme, I would say, of my last few years right, in, in my professional career. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And for the, for the people that haven't heard of causal inference uh, before, uh, how, how would you describe it to them? It's just, um, you know, what is um, based off um, some evidence that you collect, how much of an impact a specific uh, marketing impression or a marketing effort, let's call it like that. It could be whatever, right? It could be an impression of an ad. It could be, uh, you know, some radio <laughs> advertising, whatever it is, you're, the marketing pressure that you're making, what is the impact that it is having on your um, sales, on your overall sales? Doesn't have to be sales that are coming through any code or through anything specific to the marketing campaign. It's just your overall sales just grow. And so it's, it's just, um, you know, getting to that, you know, certainty about the causality of it being the specific marketing investment that you have made. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's yeah, that's uh, that's awesome, and that's why it's it's so important for for marketing because again, gives you it gives you more certainty about where the 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 right, right. dollars are being are being spent. Um, and I've noticed that that a lot of uh, or maybe maybe most definitely a lot of the people in causal inference uh, or the or the working causal inference uh, they come from an economics background. Um, I, I saw uh, yeah I saw that you have an economics background. Why why it, do you agree with that? And and if so, why why do you think that's the case? Yeah, I, I think out of the many um, you know the many tribes that that are around data science. I would say, yeah, there are, you know, computer, science, uh, computer scientists who typically have, you know, it's, it's more about data processes and, um, you know, creating data pipes and analyzing, uh, you know, deterministic processes, et cetera. Um, then you have the tribe, which maybe can be split in two, but, you know, statisticians and, and um, you know, researchers on the social sciences space, right? Mm -hmm. And these guys are typically more prone to, to causality, right? On, on experimentations, on trying to find causality on, on multiple uh, fronts, right? It could be on health, could be on education, could be on economic policy, whatever it is. It is ultimately leading to this A-B uh, testing, very old kind of trick, right? From scientists, A-B testing when you are observing some population exposed to some treatment versus another population not exposed to the treatment. And then you compare the performance of both and, and infer, you know, what is the uh, causal impact of the treatment? 
So because I, I think that is the so much core to our academic background. This is why yeah, you, you will find so many epidemiologists, so many, uh, you know, economists, of course, econometricians, uh, yeah, around these topics. Yeah, it is, it is very, very exciting. And can you tell us about the, uh, the, the journey on, on the experimentation side uh, that, that you've had at eBay and how, um, if you can tell us a little bit more about how the causal inference part is tied into the experimentation and then how you went on to scale up the, the experimentation. Right. Um, yeah. Great question. Yeah, experimentation is, is just the, the core of it. So you, you cannot get into causal inference if you don't compare two different populations with different treatments, right? So how we do this in marketing is a very special domain. Uh, and why is this special? Because if, if you think about it, marketing is, um, you know, is the product of a partnership, right? A partnership between the advertiser and the advertising platform. So let's call it, you know, Google and eBay, right? So there are two different companies. And there are things that we are ready to share and some others that are tricky to share, particularly, you know, um, the customer data and, and some things that are core to our, right, to our uh, competitive advantages and, and we just don't want to share. Now, if you want to set up a test where you are actually suppressing treatment to some people and allowing others to uh, to be exposed to the treatment and then compare the final results on sales on, on eBay in this case, what you need to do is, is to find out a solution where you are saving enough information so that we as eBay, we know who has been exposed and who hasn't. Mm -hmm. So then we can compare the sales. The sales is something that we only, only as have. And, and Google actually is effective in making the specific suppressions over this split of, of customers, right? So this coordination is, is tricky, right? It's tricky yeah. and it is very, you know, it's, it's, as a matter of fact, I uh, discuss this often, it is something that unless you have worked in the industry, it's impossible that you get, you know, many people in academia don't, don't, don't get, um, you know, specialized on that because you just need to be hands-on. And it is evolving so fast over, over the course of the years. But just for the audience, right, I think the two main ways to test this uh, are either uh, what we call geo-based or user-based. Geo-based is less um, demanding in terms of the coordination, but still it requires that both advertiser and platform aligns on some geo, some region, uh, that is going to be suppressed from marketing treatment and then align on which regions are going to be exposed to that. Um, then that doesn't require any matching of users. It just requires that, you know, the platform is able to target or not target according to geolocation of the, of the user. And the, the retailer, so the advertiser, is able to split as well the sales uh, according to, to geolocation. So that's one of the areas. Yeah, for, for more technical audiences, um, one of the problems of geo-based testing is just the statistical power. Because, of course, when you are suppressing one geo, you are not just suppressing the people that are good, have been exposed to marketing, but weren't. You are just suppressing that whole geo. So in order for the marketing impact to be surfaced and be noticeable, 
then you just need um, um, an impact, which is pretty substantial. Otherwise, it gets diluted on the humongous, you know, audiences that you have, most of which is actually not affected by marketing at all. Hmm. In order to address that, then what you have is the, what we call the user-based testing, which is uh, regardless of where the users are located, you just, it's kind of uh, using a magnifying glass, right? So you are just identifying the users that would be targeted. And then out of those users that would be targeted, half of them will be targeted and, and serve impressions to them. And the other half, they wouldn't. So the whole difference between these two people is just the marketing treatment, and they are not diluted into larger samples of population. So you are just comparing the net net sales that these two groups are having. So you don't encounter as many uh, issues with the statistical power. It's just um, you know cleaner from that perspective. On the other hand, you have all kinds of other problems because um, just the uh, precision of the tests because of the level of coordination that it requires between platform and an advertiser are, are great. And we have so many limitations from compliance and from the regulations in every market. You will always have some level of contamination that is actually greater than what we find in, in geo. So it's more of a one-to-one -one basis. It's, it's half art, half science kind of technique, right, and in order to ascertain which is this, the, the best experimentation setup for every single case. That's, that's amazing. And, and that's um, so interesting to, to look at it in that, in that partnership framework and that, that any, right. yeah, any separation of, of control and treatment group needs to be across, across the board. Um, that's, that's incredible. And what, um, what type of things are you, obviously, things that you that you can share <laughs> uh, but but what type of things do you um uh do you experiment on what type of things do you do you test um right um yeah what 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 would that be right so the main thing that we test is just the marketing impression by itself so let's say um, you know you take search in google it's an important uh part of um uh, marketing budgets for all e-commerce um, and then what you do is then, well, let me try wh what happens when I am not investing anything on search. So eBay is out, out of Google search, let's, let's, let's say, right? So everybody who is searching for whatever, a pen or a notebook is just not finding anything on, on search. And then what, what you get from that is just the, the return from that marketing investment. And when you calculate the return, then you can calculate the return on investment. So, so then you can provide to finance and to the marketers in the team the input that they need to uh, you know, figure out whether the, the level of investment makes sense. Now, there are some you know, uh, variations around that. So at times we test different spend pressures, so different investment levels, how, how, how much more we get with the next X, you know, million dollars or whatever it is, the, the amount that we are investing, right? So at times it is, um, you know, um, saturation level or, or level of pressure that we are testing. Other times it's more about the, the mix of tactics. So there are multiple types of operations around search, multiple types of bidding practices, or um, multiple types of uh, creatives around typically not on search, but on some other platforms. 
So that is also something that we, uh, we typically measure. One um, warning or one um, comment that I would make to this is that um, there are things more effect or more impactful to, to, to bottom line sales, let's say, than others, right? And the greater the impact, the easier it is to measure causality, of course. So I would say if we have to rank those, uh, of course, spend is, is a critical factor. So how much you are spending, right? Uh, second critical factor is on uh, anything related to targeting uh, tactics. These are very impactful, of course. If you are suppressing some specific audience versus other, you will have very different results. And then the crea creatives, what we call the creatives, are typically the things that many marketers prefer because it's, it's the thing that they are actually you know, uh, handle with the most, right? So they are trying to get to that, but I always tell them, well, if, if we have 100% of, of impact with everything that we do, probably 5% is our own creatives. <laughs> so, um, so you need also to... Um, right to um, consider that right in order to prioritize your pipeline and the schedule of testing because testing is also expensive of course um and and, and yeah that, that's what makes you know ultimately what we call the learning agenda what we want to learn with the amount of experiment experimentation bandwidth that we have and more often than not is on these very critical drivers right not on, on not on every kind of hypothesis that we may come up with Exactly, exactly. And I think the important thing to understand there is that the breadth of, I guess, of, of um, the responsibilities of your role and of your team, that you are, the, the, the marketing messages are not, not marketing messages that say, hey, come to eBay or, you know, use eBay. It's, it's, at, a, it's at a product level, it's at a listing level. Is that, is that right? right? So you're going very sort of in depth into, into right. the, the different order maybe thousands of categories that eBay has. Um, how, how, how does that work? Right, so um, yeah, that's exactly, you know, I, I think there are two aspects on, on everything we do around causal inference. If, if you think about it, one is just this kind of high level ROI or financial estimation, right, of impacts, which I mean, is important, of course, for many things, but it's not the only thing, right? I, I think you are alluding more uh, now to Right, what, what is more granular insights that we may get, right? Mm -hmm. Is this, I don't know, to your point with these listings are performing better than these other listings? Uh, so this is uh, ultimately, you know, giving the tip that we should be rebalancing our spend accordingly. Mm -hmm. so, so I would say that one thing is just the valuation of everything that we're doing, which is important uh, when you compare versus other initiatives that there is in the company. The other one is within that initiative, which is within that marketing treatment, search in this example, what is the change in mixes that you can make, right? It mm. could be audiences as well, right? Which are the audiences that are more uh, prone to buy if they see some marketing uh, impression. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, I, and then it is all this causality versus which is very interesting, right? This, there is some, some, um, uh, tension right between propensity and causality right mm -hmm. at times the best customers who are the most prone to buy are actually the least incremental to marketing because they are going to buy anyways so maybe we they don't help they don't need the help that we provide via search and via our partners such as google as much as other customers that unless they see us in in, in the search result page they they wouldn't so 
these are insights to your point that are coming from us and and you know these are more strategic kind of directions that we can help our partners in eBay on like marketers and financiers uh, when saying what else we can learn if you guys allow us the time and if you guys can allow also the funds that are associated to any test right and and that's the probably the most beautiful part of the job is is finding you know how how much more so working on what we call the learning agendas how much more we can learn if we set up tests even more smartly right super interesting yeah i definitely want to ask you more about that i want to ask you more about mm -hmm. the uh, so learning agendas the platform itself uh how do you look for things like like saturation um, if there's optimization sort of uh, across the board. But, uh, but before we jump into all that, I do want to remind um, the audience that we have the Q&A section uh, uh, available uh, and, and open. So if you have any questions, uh, put them in the Q&A section and we'll go through those, those questions with Carlos as well. Um, anything you want to put on the chat as well, uh, feel free. To uh, to put any messages there, any feedback, anything that you're finding interesting, let us let us know. Um, so, Carlos, yeah, I wanted to ask you on on the on the saturation question. That's that's so interesting because uh, obviously, uh, I think all I think all the work that you do has such wide uh, applicability and and in, uh, in often in in online but also offline. And um, I think that the the saturation question is is an interesting one that uh, you know when when. Um, People are or brands are opening stores in a city. It's uh, how many stores is is the, the right amount locations. It's it's similar to a saturation question online. Right. How how do you guys uh, approach and address uh, the the saturation question? So yeah, it's it's um it's a good question. It's, it's probably the, the key factor, right? Since spend is probably the main driver, how much spend is necessary, right? Mm. And I think the, the the problem with this, as with any other example that you are raising is just all the confounders that come with any any change that you're making. So imagine that at some point, uh, one thing that we do often is that we run longitudinal tests. So over time, we run different, you know, spell levels as, or, or you know, different features of our marketing work. But the problem with those is that you are changing over time. If anything is certain, is that there are more things changing, right? So. Mm. Well, imagine right now with the coronavirus and the certain in place policies, this is impacting e-commerce a lot. So you cannot compare any result in July with anything in May. Um, actually, not even one week versus the other. Mm. Or, and so on. So, um, so it is all about how to isolate things. And, and this is what makes ex experimentation, you know, um, it's an interesting field where you need, it's, it's a balancing act between rigor and perfection and then actually you know cost effectiveness right because in order to be super precise academically you you will need to test every single hypothesis you have on an a b basis every time that you want it now to your point on saturation such a problem as saturation which is more of a continuous right it's not like two discrete positions right do i prefer a or b well i don't know it's just a continuous of spend from zero to whatever, right? Um, then how, how do you do that? Uh, and particularly on A, B, C, D, do you need to test like 1,000 different spell levels? Mm -hmm. So what we, 
well, what we typically do is just um, you get into more A, B, C, D, you know, multiple uh, um, uh, testing or multiple arms testing where, yeah, yeah you, you do compare some specific uh, critical points that you think are, you know, um, are, are some points where you will be able to interpolate after that because they they are close enough so that you would expect some kind of um, smooth uh, progression, right, of return between one and the next. And with that comes a lot of, you know, business acumen and, and some of business sense and what makes sense on that. There are, you know, multiple choices that you make that are not necessarily scientific because you will need to run another set of tests. You don't have time for that. So, um, so ultimately, is this balancing act between while well, trying to be cautious with the, the amount of resources uh, that you are putting into into a test, and at the same time responding to the question with as many you know, open possibilities as possible, right? You don't want to just constrain the response to uh, an A or B answer, but trying also even even to show, even to give the opportunity to the uh, test setup to to give some uh, counterintuitive results. Like for instance, if you think that the range of spend is between you know, three points, then test another one pretty far ahead. See what happens, maybe you're wrong. And then if you are wrong, then that, that and, and you see that, I don't know, maybe return with this super high spend is much higher than what you expected, then they will, that will trigger a new set of hypotheses to be tested. So is this kind of a never ending um right quest for answering questions as much as raising new questions and that that we need just to uh, to set up every time that we that we run a test yeah for sure so then how how is that um because each each of the specific experiments um and it can be uh, around uh, saturation or the or the incrementality the incremental return um uh, maybe the alternatives for different products. So every every experiment is um, so involved. I guess it needs it needs uh, it needs um, as you said, like the learning outcomes, and it needs a, a good design. Then how does that go to or in at scale? How how did you how did you move to to a, a scalable experimentation platform? Uh, what, what are some of the components and then of, of the platform, but also the the culture, the the mindset, the approaches to the work uh, for people to be able to do this at, at scale? How how is that journey? Right. It is it is complex because I'll give you an example. Right. At, at times you want scale, but at times actually opportunity comes from granularity. Right. Um, so let me give you an example. There are some uh, marketing channels. Um, I would say affiliate marketing. I don't know if everyone is, is familiar with that, but affiliate marketing is one where um, in e-commerce, uh, we actually pay uh, partners for traffic that they send to us. And we pay based on commission and sales. Now, as a result of that, we, we build these affiliate networks where you have thousands, literally thousands of, of partners, right? How, how would you measure this kind of, of channel, right? Do you want something scalable, as you say? Or do you want something which is differentiated? Because actually the value that each of those is different. So the optimization opportunity come from differentiation rather than scale. 
Mm. Um, so that, that's one case, right, where differentiation matters a lot because you know for a fact that they are very different. Uh, on some other cases, it's more the other way around. So if you are trying to find commonalities, so then you can coordinate some highly scaled um, uh, you know, uh, test. Now, I think it ultimately yeah, depends on, you know, in the e-commerce and, and uh, digital marketing space. So there are, by, by design, right, there are big platforms that are scaling by themselves. Like, you, know, you have Google, you have, you know, paid search, particularly in Google, then you have Facebook, you know, um, retargeting uh, campaigns within those. So these companies, they they try to organize their operations in a way that is already scaled. And then that is the level where we are running the tests. But as I was saying before, while that is one direction of the industry, then you will want the other one of differenti differentiating the, you know, a very diverse portfolio and, and running, you know, specific singular tests that will then be able, I mean, will allow you to have a, yeah, a differentiated lens. On, on the portfolio. How do you, how to do that? To your question, yes, we build the experimentation platforms. Yes, to enable our partners, in the case of affiliate marketing, for instance, to enable our partners to run tests. Tests that are um, demanding from a technical perspective. So they need to be able to suppress ads to certain targets. They need to be able to identify uh, users. They need to be able to randomize the audiences uh, things that for a medium-sized affiliate can be a little too complex, right, to run. So, so retailers like eBay, we, we do build these capabilities ad hoc uh, based on, on, you know, the type of tests that we typically run. And, and I would say to your point um, in digital marketing, yeah, I, I just mentioned the three big factors that you need to take care of, right? One is identification of users. When I say identification, it's not that you need to know the name, uncertainly, but at least uh, be able to identify uh, distinct users and know when this user is coming back. So that he's always either in, in, in treatment or in control, but not, you know, swinging back and forth because then it is diluting the signal. So identification, randomization, so ma making sure that, you know, the, the uh, samples are, are randomized. So you are comparing, you know, randomization is just the best friend of a statistician, right? Because then they are, uh, particularly with the scale that we are working on in eBay, they are just naturally, by the law of the large numbers, they are naturally becoming um, comparable populations. And then suppression right? Uh, suppression, people in the audience may have heard about uh, ghost ads, which is how typically all these A-B tests at the user level are called. Uh, what it means is that is this ability of just suppressing people that could be targeted, because that's the key, right? So you would have been targeted, but you haven't. <laughs> and that's called this ghost ad technology. And, and these are the three, once you have um, you master these three aspects, identification, uh, randomization, and suppression, then you can run your test. And that's, just, this is incredible. Um, there, yeah, to, to have, to have the, the data that scale, um, and, and the, the approach that you guys are taking is, is really very impressive. Do you, do you always prepare the, the test, the experiments 
um, proactively or ahead of time. And, sure. and yeah, in our cases, are there cases where you can use the the, the data from from past experiments um, uh, yeah. or, or or data that wasn't involved in experiments to create to be able to infer similar things that you would if you had if you had run an experiment? That's a great question. And actually, yeah, I think this is something that the industry is marching towards. So we come from um, an era of frequentism, right, where you're running a test and a test is, um, is an entity of itself, right? So it, it provides an answer, yes or no, that's it. It doesn't communicate to other tests <laughs> before or after, right? And so every time that we run a test was the ultimate test. Everything else before was not even accounted, which is... You know, from a, a conceptual standpoint, it was a little uncomfortable for many of us because you say, well, we learned a lot in the past. Why would we just look at this just because it was the latest, right? It could be more contaminated. It could be, you know. And then what we are leveraging right now is um, um, frameworks such as uh, Bayesian frameworks where um, you borrow, what we call it like that, right? We borrow strength from history of tests in order to make a better estimate or a, a better read of the fresh uh, read that you had on, on your latest test. And, and this is interesting. If, if you think about it, um, this helps in, in many regards, but I, I'm going to use one example. So one thing that happens every time in marketing um, uh, experimentation is this um, noise or error, right? There is error because of the identification error, because of estimation error, because of volatility of the metric of interest, which typically is dollars. And, and, and that's a very, you know, very large, um, uh, you know, very prone to outliers kind of metric where some very big bias, even if you are capping or not, it is, it is creating some, some noise around it. And then um, building on the distribution of events that you have collected over the past, it uh, helps you identify outliers much better than if you are just um, you know, running a test as if it was the first and last yeah. test that you will ever run, right? So, so borrowing this strength from your history is helping us just to what we call uh, shrink our estimators, which is basically having much more confidence on our estimates and having much narrow, much narrower confidence intervals around those. And that's, um, I would say, I mean, for people interested in marketing analytics and the next um, uh, evolutions of that, I think that's the next frontier. I, I think there are very few companies that are going that far, but actually that is, um, that is what will yeah, bring without necessarily testing more, it's just a better use of your history of tests you will just refine your findings and you just will get more competitive advantage, right? Out of the, the experiments that you run. Yeah, exactly. So that do, so the, do the Bayesian approaches help organizations learn faster? Does that mean that the experiments would have either faster turnaround or, or, or require less data to, or, or a smaller population to get the same confidence? Um, what, what are some of, some of the other benefits? Sorry. Right. So, um, yes, could be. I, I think the greatest benefit is more about narrowing down the confidence intervals. Mm. So then you get to more precise. So let's say, at a, yeah, for a single readout, uh, you will be more precise. 
on the other hand, because you get this, it's kind of this tool or this method, right? Which is allowing for further precision. It also allows for, for greater granularity because there was some levels of grain to your point before on, on different types of listings or different categories, et cetera, right? That you may, you could have made the split before, but you didn't have the statistical power, right? To run that. Now we're borrowing strength from multiple tests. Then you can start finding some power in that. And what it means is that you, questions that before you couldn't answer, now you can. And when you, before you didn't know whether this vertical or this category is more, uh, you know, incremental than this other, now you can say that. It's not that you are running more tests. It's just that you are leveraging the, the history of data um, that you didn't do before, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, this is really interesting. And it, it seems that um, in, in sort of, in data science in general, there's, there's a, at the moment, it feels like there's a push for, for automation of or creating machine learning models sort of automatically and at scale. And, and, and it, it feels like the, the causal inference approach and, and looks so much more power and it's something that uh, requires, it, it, it feels like, and I want to get your, your thoughts on this, it, it requires a lot more, um, a lot more, I guess, hands-on work, a lot more uh, mental involvement, uh, yeah. deeper understanding of, of the techniques and, and much more uh, contextualizing in them much more so they're they're uh, used in a way that's appropriate for that specific use case is that um, is, is that the case I think the greatest difference that cultural inference is bringing and, and you know all these new branches that we are just uh, glimpsing here right like the Bayesian and these kind of things ultimately the, the big difference that it makes for organization is that um, forces the organization to think probabilistically mm which is a huge jump. So people, yeah, you know, you need to think that, well, I, I'm talking to people with, with MBA degrees, right? These are the, the typical executives. And these guys, okay, yeah, they, they do have some, some idea of confidence intervals, but then when you get into probabilistic approaches, so they, they are very used to a black and white kind of indication, right? Is this, is this better or worse? <laughs> then when you're saying, oh yeah, I'm 80% certain that it is better. What, what do you mean by 80%? Well, I mean exactly that. <laughs> so, um, so that is, is, is harder, right? And then you have, okay, 80% sounds about right. Um, but then, oh, 60% doesn't sound right. Oh, you know, 60% is true, is low. But the impact of this can be phenomenal. Yes. So would you just not do it just because of this 40% risk when the, the benefit is so phenomenal? So it gets into a very different kind of decision-making logic than the one that the organizations are, are used to. And that's, that's a big, that's super interesting, uh, but it's hard. It is actually hard. And of course, um, in large corporations, you have multiple stakeholders. Not everyone is at the same readiness <laughs> to, to take this on. Um, and that's, I, I would say that's another, you know, for, for, I mean, future generations, I think that our generation will need to, make advancement on that, but that is something for the years to come, right? Where we will see more and more organizations coming into how to intake, um, you know, probabilistic inputs for the decision-making. 
Yes, definitely. And are there are, are there any uh, any resources that you could recommend on on causal inference experimentation or or the the fusion of the Bayesian approaches into um, into this space? Uh, sure, sure. I think um, so. Well, we I, let me just check it in a sec. There is some. Um, I mean, one of the um, main uh, resources. I mean, it's, it's a little, uh, I think like uh, 10 years old or something, is um, uh, Efron's, Efron's uh, volume on large-scale inference. Uh, it is actually not someone, so it's, um, Efron is, is an academic, but he has been working on, on, uh, on the um, pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, I, I, but ultimately it is the same question that we are raising, right? The, the wealth of mm, experimentation data that they have been collecting started pressuring on these, um, you know, this heuristic of just looking at the latest, right? Rather than trying to borrow strength from the whole history. And, and he was the, the one, I think, bringing Bayesian, frank, Bayesian approaches just to the mainstream uh, in a way that I, I think you know, in academia, um, it is it is kind of becoming the mainstream, even though it is not fully, you know, the Bayesian thing has some more or less controversial aspects, like there is some very subjective approach to Bayesian that Efron is not, is not part of it. But I, I would recommend that book because it's, it's a classic, uh, uh, you know, for its own merits. Um, something more uh, recent uh, than, than that, is, um, and I know it has created a lot of attention, right? Is a statistical rethinking. I uh, uh, guess. Uh, you, you, yeah, you see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this has been pretty popular. And I, I found it very, um, it's definitely very inspiring. And it is touching most of the questions. And with, I wouldn't say plain English exactly, but uh, and it is full. Um, it is full of examples, and actually, it is working examples like on on R particularly, right? So if if the audience, uh, somebody is on on R, uh, he could or she could be following all the steps and chapters just with uh, working examples of code, right? Which I think is 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 fascinating because one of the things on Bayesian is always how to make you know, working models out of it, right? Um, and then, yeah, statistical rethinking by uh, Michael Reitz. That's a, that's a very good volume, pretty recent. That's, that is awesome. That is fantastic. We'll definitely include those in the, in the show notes. Um, great resources. And I wanted to ask you about a, a, a um, I guess, a slightly different case uh, of, of experimentation where you might not be able to withhold treatment um, okay. maybe maybe um, maybe this is more from like healthcare examples uh, maybe pharmaceuticals as you were saying where there might be some um, some yeah health constraints or ethical constraints uh, where right. if there's if there's a treatment for somebody that they should get it um, are, are there approaches in in causal inference that can help create a Maybe like a retrospective control group, um, sure, and and be able to to compare the differences between them. 
Right. So, uh, yes, right. It is all about understanding the population. I mean, understanding what I always say to the teams, right? You, you need to understand what you know and also what you don't know. So th there will be limitations uh, that you will know, like uh, things that you don't know how to how to ascertain. Like, um, well, I know that I'm interested in this subset and, and I know that if I look at this geographic location, I get more of these kind of people. But having said that, I don't know if as well there is a confounder like, yeah, on top, they have they are more prone to have this condition, you know, to an example of our own health. But I know as well that or or I don't know how much that condition is is more severe than what it is present on others. So whatever is the situation, you will need to control for everything that you know and everything that you don't know. Oh. <laughs> and that's I think the first exercise. Then in terms of how to set up that um, in, in retrospect, I think ultimately you will need to get to some hypothesis, which is, okay, I, I can make a, a, a divide, uh, which is not perfect between populations, but, you know, bear with me. Let's imagine that I can get to this perfect separation because of geolocation or whatever it is. Which is not perfect, but it, it gives me some people much more exposed to that condition than this other this other group. Now, once you have that, and and then you will want to run a a test uh, moving forward, that you will get into limitations of data, like one of the regions you have data historically, but you don't have data in the future, then you get into opportunities around what we call synthetic controls, which is trying to build on the history and on the, um, on the evolution of one of these groups, just to project what would be the normal uh, performance, let me call it performance or the, or the normal behavior of the other population. So let's imagine on, let's put an example. So we have a sample of this region versus the sample on that region. Then you will, and you will be able to compare starting from day one, um, the impact of giving a vaccine to one group versus the other. Now, okay, I can compare that, but I know that these two groups, they had different patterns of relationship in the past, right? So how can I see or how can I infer that whether they are closing the gap between themselves or they are enlarging, it is actually, um, you know, due to the different treatment, right? So that's more of, it is called as well, the diff, diff and diff um, a kind of methodology where you are trying to measure whether the differences are actually closing or, or enlarging based on the historical uh, data that you have. So then you build on the historical data, you run your synthetic controls, which is basically trying to predict uh, based off, let's say, population B, what would have been population A if they would be staying with the same treatments. Mm -hmm. And then you compare that, that is a, a pure inference, right? You compare that inference with what happens actually with the population in A when you are making a, a completely different treatment, something that has never been exposed to. It. That is what is closing uh, gaps and where, what is closing uh, comparisons, which is not apples to apples, right? It is 
populations versus the two populations that are have never been the same. What you are trying to see is whether the the gap is widening or closing, right? So that's um, pretty. You know, there are plenty of of packages around that on you know from multiple domains in in marketing as well on on how to run those with some um, robustness. And, and I would say, the, yeah, the, there are always, you know, circumstances on whether, you know, the, the history is exactly uh, revealing of what the future will be. <laughs> so whether this, you know, choice that you made based on history and the relationship that they had in history are actually to be expected to have followed or, 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 or there is something that you have missed, which just to, to close on that topic, will have to be uh, solved by repetition of, of multiple tests, right? So you just run to, you, you raised the point earlier on, on scaling tests. So instead of running a single test versus synthetic control, you just run many <laughs> and then see, you know, what is the smooth average of all those uh, just in order to get some greater confidence, right? And, and to avoid this kind of, um, asymmetries that happen at times versus between past and future. That is awesome. That is awesome, man. I'm, I'm enjoying this so much. Uh, we also got a message from, from Axel Ramirez. He said, um, this, this business insight has made my morning. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for that. I do, I do, um, I know, I know we're, we're coming up on time, uh, but I do have, um, um, possibly a last question for you, Carlos. And I want to know with, with everything that, that you've done in your career and, and um, you know, in, in your work, I know that you also teach a lot, you mentor, what, what are you, what are you most proud of that, that you've, that you've done or accomplished in, in your career so far? I will be very selfish on that. I, I would say two things. Just one very selfish, another one just to look a little nicer to you guys. <laughs> the most selfish thing would be just to learn, right? I think we are all, all of, I'm sure everybody listening to this, we are all learners, right? Lifelong learners, and we just enjoy learning. That, that's what actually triggers us, right? And I think that's, yeah, that's it's something, right, immaterial. <laughs> I cannot explain it. It probably doesn't make sense. It's just we, we love to learn. And having this, you know, chance just to set up tests and, and, and get to learn more and, and get access to all this data just to learn more and more, I, I think that's what triggers us. And then the second point is on, on people, right? So um, when working on organizations, you always have um, opportunity, right? To I, I always say this, right? I, I've been in academia. I've been in, in many places. I have to say that where I learn the most every time it has been uh, at work in industries because there are so many smart people just looking at things differently with different backgrounds, et cetera. That, that is, I mean, from a selfish perspective, again, is, is where you, you get the most. So when you are the one giving, right, and you can see, like, uh, you help somebody grow or you help somebody start thinking differently about problems, that is also a very rewarding experience. So learning and, and people is probably the two answers. Amazing. No, that is, that is incredible. And um, I think that is a, a fantastic note to end on. And Carlos, I want to thank you so much uh, for, for your time, for sharing your experience, your knowledge, your insights. 
um, sharing all how part of all this learning that you've been doing over the, over the years. Um, yeah, your your experience is is incredible, and the work that you've done is amazing. Definitely something that I see more um, something that's more needed in in data science as a field. Uh, and as you said, something that's definitely going to be more more in demand and more popular in the future. Yep. Thank you so much for for sharing uh, that with us uh, today. Thank you, Felipe. Thank you very much, everyone. It was lots of fun. So I, I will keep following uh, data futurology in the future. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.